um, we are now in Judges. Are you excited? Did you read it this week? Was it like, ah, wow, this is amazing stuff. If you're not into Judges, if you didn't know, if you were going through all the historical books in the Old Testament this, this year, and we just finished Joshua, and then we started in reading this week in Judges, and we got through a few of the Judges. And um, we're going to do more this week. And um, I thought that I would talk a little bit about a chapter that is sort of skipped over a lot of the times. Chapter 1 is just sort of like a sort of the bridge between Joshua into Judges. Some of the same information you get in the end of Joshua, you get at the beginning. And then you kind of launch into the Judges and people kind of skip over chapter 2. And so I take this as a personal challenge for us to look at something that's usually seen as transitory, overviewish. Is that a word? Maybe. And and look at it for what it's worth and, and what it means for us. Does that sound okay? All right. So if you have your your books that we've been passing out. Go to, go to the 11th. Okay? If you're not, go to your, use your Bible or your phone and turn to Judges 2. And we're going to go through 3.6. So, we're going to actually read more than a chapter. But you're going to get some Bible reading today. Oftentimes... They, People ask me, well, why do you just read these long passages? Honestly, because I believe the Word of God has more to say to you than I do. You know what I'm saying? So let's let's read together like we've done all week. Follow along and read together. Starting in Judges 2. The angel of the Lord went up through Gilgal to Bochum and said, I brought you up out of Egypt and led you into the land I swore to give your ancestors. I said, I will never break my covenant with you, and you shall not make a covenant with the people of this land, but you shall break down their altars. Yet you have disobeyed me. Why have you done this? And I have also said, I will not drive them out before you. They will become traps for you, and their gods will become snares to you. When the angel of the Lord had spoken these things to all the Israelites, the people wept aloud. And they called that place Bochum, which means weeping. There they offered sacrifices to the Lord. After Joshua had dismissed the Israelites, they went to take possession of the land, each their own inheritance. The people served the Lord throughout the lifetime of Joshua and the elders who outlived him and who had seen all the great things the Lord had done for Israel. 
Joshua, son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died at the age of 110, and they buried him in the land of his inheritance at Timnath Harris, in the hill country of Ephraim, north of Mount Gosh. After that whole generation had been gathered to their ancestors, another generation grew up who knew neither the Lord nor what he had done for Israel. Then the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord and served the Baals. They forsook the Lord, the God of their ancestors, who had brought them out of Egypt. They followed and worshipped various gods of the people around them. They aroused the Lord's anger because they forsook him and served Baal and the Ashtoreths. In his anger against Israel, the Lord gave them into the hands of raiders who plundered them. He sold them into the hands of their enemies all around whom they were no longer able to resist. Whenever the Israel went out to fight, the hand of the Lord was against them to defeat them, just as he had sworn to them. They were in great distress. Then the Lord raised up judges who saved them out of the hands of these raiders. Yet they would not listen to their judges, but prostituted themselves to other gods and worshipped them. They quickly turned from the ways of their ancestors who had been obedient to the Lord's commands. Whenever the Lord raised up a judge for them, he was with the judge and saved them out of the hands of their enemies as long as the judge lived. For the Lord relented because of their groaning under those who oppressed and afflicted them. But when the judge died, the people returned to ways even more corrupt than those of their ancestors, practices, and stubborn ways. Therefore, the Lord was very angry with Israel and said, Because this nation has violated the covenant I ordained for their ancestors and has not listened to me, I will no longer drive out before them any of the nations Joshua left when he died. I will use them to test Israel and to see whether they will keep the way of the Lord and walk in it as their ancestors did. The Lord had allowed those nations to remain. He did not drive them out at once by giving them into the hands of Joshua. Chapter 3. These are the nations the Lord left to test all those Israelites who had not experienced any of the wars in Canaan. He did this only to teach warfare to the descendants of the Israelites who had not had previous battle experience. The five rulers of the Philistines, all the Canaanites, the Sidonites, and the Hivites living in the Lebanon mountains from Mount Baal, Hermon, to Lebo, Hamath. They were left to test the Israelites to see whether they would obey the Lord's commands, which he had given their ancestors through Moses. The Israelites lived among the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. They took their daughters in marriage and gave their own daughters to their sons and served their gods. So, this chapter 2 and a little bit of chapter 3, there's sort of an overview. The author, we don't really know who the author is, so test that. If you look at the Talmud, the Talmud says that it was Samuel who wrote it. He summed up all of the years previously between Joshua and the time when Samuel was the prophet, sort of the judge over Israel at the time. So, The author here explains a lot of things here. He 
He puts out that there were... Okay, remember last week when we got to Joshua, when Joshua was of old age, he was about ready to go the way of all the world. He knew he was dying, and he said two things. You need to conquer the rest of the land that God gave you. There's still some pockets remaining. We haven't got it all done. Okay? So you need to go do that. That's what Joshua says. And then he says, choose who you will serve. Those are the two things Joshua tells him to do. Joshua, before he died, knows that not all the parts are taken. And then they, they talk about Judah going in to the Philistine area, taking some. There's five rulers, there's five cities, they take three of them. But then later in the time of the judges, the Philistines have returned and taken over the five cities again. You have the Benjamin, Benjaminites and, and Judah attacking Jebus or Jerusalem and burning it. But yet, the Jebusites are still there at the time of David. They're still hanging out. All of Tyre and Sidon, the whole Sidonites are there that you heard. They were not, it was not taken, the north part. So all of these areas, and so what has happened is, God says, because you're not obeying, because you didn't obey, because you didn't obey what the covenant was made, angel of the Lord goes, does pronouncements and says, you're not going to be able to drive the rest of them out. Okay? It also says, let me use that as a test to see whether you are going to serve me or not. And it also has the added benefit that the next generation will learn to fight and they won't become soft. All those things are all found in chapter 2. So, how long is Judges? How many years is a point of time for Judges? Well, according to Acts, the time of the Judges was 450 years. Okay, so for those of us in the United States, and we sort of, okay, we can't, I can't put my mind around 450 years. I, I can't. I mean, Our nation has only been a nation for what? 240 years? Sorry, I can't do the math. (laughs) Math's not my strong suit. Anyway, but 450 years. Okay, so let's pause the sermon. Pause. And I want to... I want to bring up something. I want to show you something about those of us that that study Scripture. I just want to show you something interesting. Okay? And then we'll get back into the sermon. But I just want to point out some things to you. Okay? So, let's look at that that verse that I told you about in Acts. That says Acts 13, 18 through 20. Okay? Let me show you the New King James Version. This is 18 through 20. 20 is the one I want, but this is Paul speaking to the church or to the the synagogue in Antioch. He says this, Now for a time of about 40 years, he put up with their ways in the wilderness. And when he had destroyed seven nations in the land of Canaan, 
he distributed their land to them by allotment. He's just giving the story of Israel. And then 20 says, after that, he gave them judges for about 450 years until Samuel the prophet. Okay? So this, when I tell you, how many years is judges? So when we got to Joshua, we said it's about 20 years. From the time Joshua was 90 to the time he's 110. Okay, and he dies there. 450 years for the judges. Okay? Now let's look at the new international version of this same passage. Acts 13, 18 to 20. For about 40 years he endured the, their conduct in the wilderness. And he overthrew seven nations in Canaan, giving their land to his people as their inheritance. All this took about 450 years. After this, God gave them judges until the time of Samuel the prophet. Same passage of scripture, a different version. What they're saying, according to the New International Version, is that it was 450 years from the time they were in Egypt until the time of the judges. Okay, and the New King James says the 450 of the judges. What? So is the Bible not to be believed? There's differences. Oh! This is the one thing I don't want you to do. That's why I'm, that's why I'm pausing here, is to look at these. I believe the Bible is absolutely true. Okay? I absolutely believe this. But here's the thing. There are translation differences in the Hebrew, in the Greek. This reading can be read either way. It absolutely can. So what does that mean for us as studiers of the Bible? Well, let's, let's look at this. Okay, 450 years. Was it 450 years from the time they were in Egypt to the, to the time of the judges? Well, let's see. According to Exodus, they were in Egypt for about 400 years. Then you have the wilderness wanderings for, of about 40 years, right? And then you have about 20 years of Joshua's life. Okay? Even with my math, lack of skills, I come with 470 years. That's around 450 years. Okay. But if we look at the other way, was it 450 years? If you add up the different judges and their reign and the time that they were delivered, you come up with 319 years. Okay, that's the time of the judges. What about the time of oppression and subjugation that happened? You add those up and it could be a little bit close to 450 years. So, the New International Version, the New King James Version, even though they're completely different, they can both be true. Boom! Okay, I'm just, I'm just sick. Because people will point out, like, well, there's, there's differences. Yeah, there's interpretive differences in things. But you know what? The Bible is still absolutely true. I'm just... Throwing that out there because there'll be some people that say, well, you know, the Bible's not really true. How can this be 450 years? This says 450 years. This says 450 years. You're absolutely right. Okay? So, the interesting part is when we get to 1 Samuel, I mean, 1 Kings, and 
Solomon talks about from the time of the temple to the time of the entering of from the time of Egypt to the time that the temple was built. He says it's 480 years. Wait, what? Okay. How does that work? Here's the thing. Do do you have the map? Okay. You have the map out? Do I have a map? Oh, there it is. Hallelujah. Okay. So this is the land here. And then you have the judges. And we have all... This is the, the area at the time that everything was supposed to be conquered. Judah was supposed to take care of this. Um, there's a place over here in Ephraim and Manasseh that is not taken up in the hills. They're right here in Jerusalem, the Jebusites still live there. The Sidonites are up here in Asher, and they're not, they're not taking all that area. Dan never takes this land anyway. They end up going up here. So, all this thing. Let's, look at, let's just look at the judges. A brief look at the judges. Okay. According to judges, there were 13 judges. All right? In the 13 judges, six of them were sort of minor. They're only like one verse or a couple of verses. There's not much mention of them. So there's seven major ones. There's six minor ones. So there's 13. So let's look at them very, very quickly. There's Othniel. Othniel came from Judah in this area right here. Then there is Ehud. Ehud came from Benjamin. So in this area right here. Okay. Then there's Shamgar. We don't know where Shamgar's from. We don't know where he came from. We don't know how long he ruled. It just says one verse for him. Then there's Deborah and Barak. Deborah is from Ephraim right here. Barak is from Naphtali. Okay. Then we have Gideon. Gideon is from Manasseh, this area right around here. Then we have Abimelech. Abimelech is from Manasseh right here. But then we also have Tola, who is from Ishakar. And where is he at? Right there. All right. Then we have Jer, who is from Manasseh, but he's from on this side of Manasseh. Then we have Jephthah. He's also from this same area right here. Then we have Ibsan. He's from either Zebulun or Judah. We're not quite sure. Then we have Elan from Zebulun. Then we have Abdon, who is right here from Ephraim. And then we have Samson. Samson's from Dan. So we have all these different areas. The thing about Judges doesn't tell you. It talks about they get progressively worse whenever... So there is some line there, but they could be overlapping. They could very well be overlapping in time and regions. But all of them are made known. The reason why we get the name Judges for Judges is from the Hebrew word of deliverers. Or, get this, 
saviors. God uses them to right the ship, as it were. Because the whole indication of what chapter 2 just told us is that even though Joshua and the elders around them knew the Lord, the next generation says they didn't know the Lord. What does that mean? Of course, of course they knew who the Lord was because when they fall into captivity or oppression by outside forces, who do they do? They cry out to God, don't they? Well, if they didn't know God, why, what does this mean? They didn't know God. They didn't have a relationship. They didn't have a relationship of dependence. They didn't have a relation of gratitude. They didn't have a relationship of looking to him to provide, looking to him in ways you're supposed to live because God had laws out. You should do certain things. Obey the Lord your God is what Moses told them in the wilderness. What Joshua told them, choose this day who you will serve. And so what is going on is that people, this next generation are just doing whatever feels good. You've got some neighbors that have set up altars that have not been torn down in disobedience to God. What God is this God? And who is this? Baal? Okay. Uh, Your temples have... You can go and have sex and that's part of the worship service? Hey, that sounds pretty interesting. And then they start intermarrying and they start doing things they're not supposed to do. And God says, fine, you want to make other gods that aren't gods? Okay, go ahead. And guess what? I'm going to remove my protective covering from you. And in the reading, what the angel says. Now, many of us believe that the angel here is pre-incarnate Jesus the second person of the Trinity speaking. Now, why do, we, why do we say that? Because when the angel is speaking, he says, I brought you out of Egypt. I, he's using the first person. Now, he could very well have been a, a messenger, and so he's just delivering what God said. But I don't know. There are three times in the book of Judges where this angel of the Lord just sort of shows up and speaks. Why is that important that, that it, it might be Jesus? Well, it could be the fact that this, we do know that God comes down to the earth and he begins to speak. And it goes, it's important in the first part, it says, the angel Lord went up from Gilgal to Bochum. Well, Gilgal was where, between the Jordan and Jericho, they had set up, and this is where the place of worship, this is where the tabernacle was. And so we believe that the angel Lord spoke Close to the tabernacle, but so that may, they may have moved the, the, the tabernacle from Gilgal to, it's called Bochum. We don't have Bochum anyplace else. Or very few places in scripture. Now, interesting enough, in another translation, the Septuagint, which is the Greek translation of the Hebrew scriptures that was done before Christ... They mention not Bochum, but Bethel. They may have some inside knowledge that 
maybe Bethel was for time named Bochum. Do you know why it was named Bochum? Because it means weeping. When the angel of the Lord came and said, listen, you're not going to be able to drive out the rest of thing? These, these things. What you were supposed to do, you're supposed to drive out all the Canaanites, get all that land is supposed to be the promised land, but I'm not going to let you happen now because of your disobedience. And it shows that they're weeping because of what the angel of the Lord said. Now, this word weeping, bokum, is used in another place in Scripture, which is telling. That same weeping, that same bokum-ing is found when, when they're in the wilderness and they're at Kadesh Barnea. The twelve spies go up into the Canaan, Canaan and they look around and they go, huh, and you have two spies that said, we can take this. With God, we can do it. And there were ten that said, oh, they're too big. They're giants. They're going to tell us there's no way. We're going to die out here. Oh, and our kids are going to become plunder. The Bible, that area, that's their weeping. That's the weeping. It's not the weeping of repentance. It's the weeping of despair. So the angel of the Lord shows up and says, this is what's going to happen. You should, you, because you've been in disobedience. The response should have been, oh, you're right, God. We need to be following you. We need to, we need to get rid of all these other gods. We need to continue to be in obedience. No, they just cry. We're not getting our way. Okay. With that being said, let's look at what the testing and discipline was. Some parts of Scripture says that God allows the people... The other nations that were still in the land to remain to be as a testing. To see whether they would follow the Lord. And then there's other places of scripture where it says that God is leaving them in there because he is angry at them. We see anger of the Lord. Well, I'm not going to draw these people out because you're not obeying me. I'm being the one faithful. You are being unfaithful. So you know what? I'm not going to give you the way you want it. So which one is it? Is it the testing? The, the testing so that to see whether you really believe in the Lord? Or is it, is it punishment? Which one is it? Here's the answer. Yes. It's both. And... In God's all providence, he adds a third one. We see this in chapter 3. It's a testing, allowing the next generation to toughen up and learn the art of war. Because they'd gotten soft. Okay, so let me take a few minutes and relay that, relate it. To 21st century America. Several things. You are a follower of Christ. 
you have a relationship with God through Jesus. And you are following his ways. You're doing the best you can. You just stumble a little bit. You're asking for forgiveness. You're moving on. You're getting by. That doesn't guarantee that the next generation is going to do the same. It's not. It's not a guarantee. Those of you that are young people, you cannot have a relationship with God from your parents. You cannot. There's too many times in Scripture we see that they just forget. They get soft. Oh, you know, I go to church with with mom and dad, but I don't pray. I don't live my life for him. Oh, but my parents do. Listen, you need to start taking ownership of your faith. It's not your parents. It's you. God asks individually each of us to come to him. It's not a group effort. Now, he wants us to be in a group effort, but it's through an individual acknowledgement, a ending, if you will, of yourself, and you're giving yourself to God. That's why we say God is our Savior. He is our Deliverer. He's our judge. Okay? That's one. Second of all, remember last week I talked about the stones of remembrance. The reason why the stones of witness, the stones of remembrance are important is because we forget all the time. Now, this is a stupid example, but I'm going to use it anyway. I thought about this. Okay. I like to consider myself a, a pretty godly guy. I'm a pastor. I probably should be. I mean, I, I know that I'm not perfect. I know that. I sort of think, I make right choices. Okay? But let's just say I stub my toe. And it really, really hurts. Those few words that come out of my mouth... Are not godly words. As a matter of fact. They are usually contrary to godly words. How quick. Ah. Right. Or I'm. I'm driving. I'm obeying the speed limit. You guys are. Yeah sure you do. No actually I do. Most of the time, people are passing me and giving me the finger. Because I'm going the speed limit. Because I'm thinking the rules are important. I still obey. But as soon as someone cuts me off or gives me the finger, I want to respond, and sometimes I do, in an ungodly fashion. Good thing I'm not driving the church van at the time. How soon we forget, we allow circumstances to shape how we live. In Israel of the time, there are people that are, do not follow Yahweh, do 
do not practice following Yahweh, yet they're right up against and they say, hey, the Israelites, well, that's different. That's, they equate things that aren't indeed God with God. And the Bible says that they prostitute themselves. You think, well, that's a bit of a strong word there. Interesting enough, you know the word Baal actually is another word for husband. And so the people of Israel have found another husband to serve, to live with. What? They are prostituting themselves out instead of the true relationship with God and with others. We still do this today. We do this all the time. We forget. I was reading an article the other day that there are people of adult age now that are saying that 9-11 never happened. Wait, what? What? A mere 20, not even 20 years, 20 years later, they're saying, oh, that's just made up. It's the same thing with the Holocaust in World War II. We got people that say, oh, that never happened. Huh. How can we forget? Well, we do. So we need to have stones of witness, stones of remembrance. We need to have a fellowship of community that are able and free to speak truth to each other in times when we have our blind spots, in our times when we seemingly have forgotten the Lord. That's exactly what the judges are doing in a circular matter. The judges are convinced and say, wait, we need to follow God. This is the reason why we're in the pickle that we're in. This is the reason why we're in the subjugation. And they stand up. And because they are willing to stand up, have a voice, talk about God. Even we'll find out that most of these judges are not perfect. They make huge mistakes. But they choose God. They choose Yahweh. And because of their relations with him, they bring the nation out of subjugation, out of servanthood. Back into being a nation again. And we need to do the same thing. Listen, in this day and age, we are told as Christians to shut up. Don't you, don't you spread your religion to me. Jesus is not allowed in the workplace. Jesus is not allowed in the schools. Jesus is not allowed. And you know what? We're letting it happen. For crying out loud, it's time to stand up. It's time to speak out about Jesus. Speak truth, regardless of the circumstances. You know why? Because we've gotten soft. We've got, well, you know, we hear things, well, there's more than one way to God. And, and you know what? We have people in this country who have never heard Jesus, never seen the power of what a life with him can do. And we need to speak up. It may be, this may be the time for you to say, you know what? 
The Bible says this. And it's true. Even in my own life, I see this. Do not be silenced. Do not be silenced. Because if you do, we're going to have a generation that has just forgotten the Lord. Or they don't know the Lord, having a relationship with Him. However imperfect it happens, Jesus decided this is the way he was going to do church. And how his message was going to make it to the world. Are we going to do what Jesus says? Or are we going to just get soft and complacent and allow the next generation to not know him? Because part of that is our responsibility. Young people, people in the generations past or before me or after me, after me, not before me. I'm, I apologize. There were times I should have spoken up and I didn't. There were times I should not, I should have said, well, this is what's true. And I repent from it. And I will be silent no longer. How about you? There may be times, someone in your life, that you're going, to need, you're going to need to stand up. Maybe it's a family member. Maybe it's a co-worker. Maybe it's a neighbor. Maybe it's someone that God has just placed in your life. And I don't know how we became knowing each other, but it's happened. None of that is by mistake. And we need to speak out. Is that a test? Maybe. You think God still tests? I think so. Sometimes he allows painful things in our life to test us to see if we're really going to serve him. Or are we relying on, we're just so upset about the pain or so upset about the uncomfortableness or whatever. Listen, he is grooming us. God, I'm talking to the Christians here. He is grooming us for eternity. That's what he's doing. This life, he's grooming us. He's shaping us. He's changing us so that we might serve him for eternity. That's the truth of it. You know, we may not have the angel show up at church and tell us what we should be doing. But he's given us his word. Even if God doesn't speak again at all audibly, he's said enough. And he's left it for us. And we're responsible. So what should I do next? Well, let's open the word and see what happens. That's why every week we try to open the word and speak it. Because God still has a message for us. Sound good? All right, stand with me. I do need to let you know, next week after church, after the cookie social, in the fellowship hall, if you are interested in the mission trip to go help the Bumps camp in Mexico, you need to go. To the fellowship right after right after church. After you have a couple cookies, I think. I mean, I'm going to. I'm going to have cookies.
So you need to do that. Okay, That's next week, so plan on that. Also, if you need prayer, we have prayer request cards. You can write them out, put them in the box. Our elders will pray for it first thing on Monday. Or if you can't wait and you want to be prayed with, intercede with, whatever, our elders will be up front. We want to pray with you. We have to be happy to do it. We also have some prayer warriors. We'll be happy to pray as well. So, that being said, let me pray and dismiss us. Father God, we come before you. Thank you so much. Thank you for all that you do. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the timeliness of your word. Even though this happened eons ago, it's still relevant today to our lives. Father God, help us to be the people of God, to stand up, to be an example for others. Help us to live our lives in such a way that our light will so shine that people will see it and give you all the praise and the glory. Thank you, Lord, for this community of believers with which I am a part of. Lord, I pray that you will invest your spirit in each and every one of them this week, that they will be challenged to follow you in more and new, different ways, that they will continue to give your name a good name, and that you will bless them exceedingly. I ask this, Lord, in the name of Jesus. Amen. Have a great week.